The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. So now let me invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of James. Open up your pew Bible to page 1013 or whatever Bible that you have. It's been three weeks since we were last in the book of James, but we want to be turning there again to James chapter 5 as we are racing towards the conclusion of this great book. As you can see in your bulletin, we're looking at just one verse this morning, uh, which might seem uh, astonishing perhaps. Just one verse, James chapter 5 and verse 12. And uh, as you're flipping there, I'll also give you a heads up that at some point we're also going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5. So if you want to put a pencil or a piece of paper in Matthew chapter 5 to make it easier to get there when the time comes, you might want to do that. But James chapter 5 and verse 12 is our text this morning. What's interesting is that many, many people throughout history and Bible commentators have scratched their heads about what exactly verse 12 is doing in the book of James because uh, they admit that it's kind of an awkward verse in the middle of a really bad transition that is grouped in between two sections that it doesn't really seem to make much sense why it's there. You'll notice how James chapter 5, verse 12 is tucked in at the end of a section about suffering and just before a section about prayer. And here is James in verse 12 talking about swearing oaths. Now it's important to remember that uh, chapter divisions and verse numberings and chapter headings and all these things are are not original to the text. They're added later to kind of give direction. And a decision has to be made by English translations what to do with verse 12. Do we put it at the end of the previous section or the beginning of the next section? And most translators agree that it belongs here at the end of the previous section about suffering. But nonetheless, verse 12 does stand on its own. And we want to understand why it does and this idea of swearing oaths in this very practical book of James. But before we get into that, just to kind of give us some context and maybe introduce us to the text here briefly, we want to try to get hold of what James is saying. And to orient our thoughts, uh, I want to take you back to childhood, perhaps, or maybe you still do this. I'm not quite sure take you back to childhood and ask you the question, how did you convince your friends that what you were saying was true? Uh, what, what extra little bit of information would you tag on to the end of a statement to assure your friends that what you're saying was really true? Uh, now, uh, you know, f- uh, what I tried to do really hard with the, my junior high students is to get them to stop saying this, but maybe you joined your statement of assertion of truth with, I swear it, I, I swear to God in heaven that this is true. Or you say something to the effect of, I swear on a stack of Bibles, this is true. I've always wondered how many Bibles constitute a stack and why one Bible isn't sufficient in and of itself, but a stack of Bibles or, or everyone's favorite, right? Cross my heart and hope to die and why in the world would you do this? Stick a needle in my eye, right? This is true, okay? Why do we do that? And what is it that we are doing we are, we are adding a, an assertion and a statement at the end of a, a truth claim that this is true, and because it's true, I'm swearing by this, and this is what the Bible calls an oath, swearing an oath. Now, I'm sure at some point we have all done this. Uh, maybe still are in the pattern of behavior of doing this. Maybe we say, stick a needle in my eye or not. Well, uh, hanging out with a bunch of students this past week, Knowing that this text was upcoming, I was trying to listen for this. 
I was trying to listen for this behavior to see, you know, do, do people still do this? And in particular, do, do, do children do this? Do teenagers do this? And if they do, they probably don't say, you know, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. So how do they swear and what oaths do they do? Well, on Wednesday, on Wednesday, one seventh grader was telling another one of his seventh graders, another one of his friends, that I just saw the biggest spider I have ever seen in my entire life. Okay, and I overheard this conversation, and uh, he was saying, I want you to come and see it. And the one boy didn't quite, you know, agree or grasp, you know, there's no way. I've seen bigger spiders for sure. There's no way I believe you. And the other boy said, no, I swear to you, it's the biggest spider I've ever seen in my entire life. And if it's not, you can punch me in the face. <laughs> now, uh, how did that one end? Uh... I don't think anybody got punched in the face, thankfully, uh, so it must have been a big spider. But the point being was that an oath was sworn with punishment guaranteed, and that is actually what James is getting at here in chapter 5, verse 12. This idea of oath swearing and what that means, James has something to say to us about the words that we say, particularly the way that we swear. And James's words to us is, in fact, God's word to us, so we want to hear it with reverence. And so let's pray and hear God's word today. Our Lord, we thank you for the scriptures. We are reminded regularly what a wonderful treasure the Bible is to us. It's living and active because it's your word and you are alive, and so this This text is alive. It illuminates our lives. It gives us understanding and leads us in the way to go. But Lord, so often we we struggle to understand and we certainly fail to obey. And so won't you please, in your mercy, help us this morning. Send your spirit who inspired James to write these words to also inspire our lives to live faithfully in following Jesus. And so help us this morning for we find ourselves needy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And just one verse, James chapter 5 and verse 12. Hear the word of God. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. And even though it's just one verse, let me encourage you to keep your Bible open here as we look at this together. Well, let's, let's remember that what James is after here throughout this letter that um, hopefully many of us have come to enjoy, love, appreciate, and by God's grace apply. What James is after is trying to encourage us towards a, a more whole and a more complete, genuine life of Christian faithfulness, faith that demonstrates its reality in tangible ways, which is why we've called this sermon series Faith That Works or faith that displays, faith that evidences itself through genuine work. And there has been a lot of important instruction through the book of James. It's a small book, but we've seen together that it packs a very big punch. 
Which is why verse 12 should give us pause because after all that James has said, now coming to chapter 5 and verse 12, he says, but above all, above all, above all the things that he's already said, give attention to this issue. It might give us surprise that in terms of priority, he thinks that this is the issue to give attention to above all things. Which is why I want us to maybe clarify here at the beginning, before we actually get into the details of what James means here in chapter 5, verse 12, is that James is not actually introducing a new topic here. So when he says, above all, he's not saying, now let me talk to you about something that I haven't previously spoken to you about. He's not introducing a new topic that is more important than other ones that he's previously written about. He is applying with an illustration for clear summary actually what he's been talking about this whole book. And what that is, is that the way that you speak, the way that we speak is one of the clearest evidences of the nature of our hearts and the spiritual conditions of our souls. The way that we speak is the clearest indicator of the spiritual condition of our hearts. Or in other words, As Jesus says, the tongue is like a pathway to the heart in the sense that it is out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. And so the mouth then is the window into the heart to reveal the true nature of our condition. And it has been this issue of the words that we speak, or in particular the way we use the tongue, that James has really focused in on as one of the most important spiritual indicators or uh, tools to evaluate the health of our spiritual life. So just really quickly, if you want to scan back through the book of James really briefly and notice a few places that James has been emphasizing the importance of the tongue or our speech in revealing the quality of our spiritual life. Back in chapter 1, verse 26, 1 verse 26, he talks about the unbridled tongue or the uncontrolled tongue revealing worthless religion. In other words, it is possible for someone to do lots of great deeds, but if their, if their tongue is not in order, then it reveals that their religious deeds are actually worthless. Or in chapter 2 verse 12, James encourages Christian believers to speak as those who are under the law of liberty, uh, meaning speak as those set free by Jesus Christ to use your voice, use your tongue, use your words to build up and encourage and bless rather than tear down and discourage and speak evil against one another. And then chapter 3, almost all of chapter 3 from verses 2 to 11 is that long section on taming the tongue. And James uses the tongue as a a metaphor where he says that the tongue is like a spark that ignites a great forest fire. It's a small member inside of our body, but if it's not brought under control, it can cause great destruction. So all of chapter three was about taming the tongue. Again, uh, talking about the importance of the quality of our speech as Christians. And then in chapter 4, verse 11, we have a particular warning against speaking evil. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law, which is the way James explains that when we speak evil against one another in Christ, we are first not actually speaking evil against that person, but we are speaking evil against God himself. And so our tongue and our words and our speech 
are the clear window into the quality of the spiritual nature of our hearts. That's why he's so interested in speech and words. And so now in chapter 5, verse 12, again, he's not introducing a new topic. He is summarizing this, all this language about speech and words and the tongue with this illustration about oath swearing. And we'll get into the details of what that's all about. But again, it's, it's a summary of these spiritual principles. So, genuine faith is evidenced through the use of the tongue, and we test spiritual sincerity by our speech. And so again, above all, verse 12, when he says above all, you could also translate that as especially, or, or here at the end to apply what I've said, especially this point as he continues to apply and bring to conclusion these principles about the sincerity of our faith and the words that we use. So then in verse 12, after the above all, dear brothers, which is always given to encourage us, James is, James is constantly, if you like, piercing with his words while also comforting us at the same time to encourage us. And he does the same thing here. He does it with this command. Verse 12 is a command. Don't mistake it. He is giving an, an apostolic command. And this command comes in two forms where it is stated negatively as do not and then positively as let your. So the negative command, do not swear, and the positive command, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And then after that, a warning. And we'll look at that at the conclusion. But first, let's just get a sense of this command itself because there's, there's actually quite a bit stockpiled behind this concept of oath swearing in the Bible that we have to do some background work to really grasp what James is saying. Uh, it's very important to understand. So let's be clear about a few things, first of all, as James talks about oaths and swearing. Uh, the first of all is that when James talks about swearing here, he's not talking about swearing in the conventional sense that you probably think of and try to keep your kids and grandkids from doing. He's not talking about foul language, okay? Swearing not in that sense. If that's a topic of interest to you, you could look other places in the Bible, like in Colossians chapter 3, where Paul talks about obscene talk. That's different from the kind of swearing that James is going to be talking about. And uh, as I had to remind myself of that, uh, just had to laugh, reminding myself that my grandmother used to say that uh, swearing doesn't count if you rhyme it. Now, to a young boy who had an imagination running wild, I could justify just about any word I wanted to trying to rhyme it, but she ran around talking about hell's bells and said it didn't count uh, because she, she rhymed. Uh, but, but again, that's, that's not what James is talking about here. And that's clear. It becomes more clear when we realize that what James is doing here is actually borrowing all of this. Or you could say he's plagiarizing his older half-brother. Who is that? The Lord Jesus. James is taking all of this from the Lord Jesus. James is almost entirely quoting this from the mouth of Jesus, who in Matthew chapter 5, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5, and that's a section that we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is giving a, a summary of, of ethics or morality in the life of God's kingdom. The kingdom that Jesus ushers in, Jesus gives this law for this kingdom. And in this section, in Matthew chapter 5, particularly in verses 33 to 37, we find Jesus talking about this very thing. So Matthew 5, verse 33, 
Matthew 5 and verse 33 under the heading oaths, it says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, do not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is in the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So in Matthew 5, 33 to 37, Jesus is saying in reference to oath swearing and a particular kind of oath swearing, verse 37, just say yes or no. Don't swear an oath. Now, James is taking that instruction from Matthew 5, and here in James chapter 5, he is taking what Jesus says when Jesus says, say yes or no. James is taking that another step and saying, when you say yes or when you say no, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Which might seem redundant, but when we get inside the the details of this whole business of oath swearing, it actually starts to clarify why James would have to add the, the sincerity of yes being yes and no being no. So in James 5.12, the command itself is focusing on this practice of oath swearing. Now, when we think of oaths, what we probably call to mind is uh, you know, oaths of office or swearing in an, an, an oath of truthfulness to, to avoid perjury if we have to take a stand, right? These are oaths that we swear or membership oaths, whatever it might be. But, but the biblical roots of this concept of oath swearing go, go deeper than just, hey, I promise to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. In the Old Testament, the word for oath is this Hebrew word, uh, shabua, which is a funny word to say. Shabua is the word for oath, which means to swear. It's a verb, to swear. And then in the New Testament, the Greek word is horkos, which means to bind or strengthen. To bind or strengthen. And that's important because when you swear an oath, what you're trying to do is bind your word or strengthen and elevate your word by a higher witness. So this Greek concept of oath swearing is strengthening your word by elevating it to a greater witness to bear witness of the truthfulness of your claim. To elevate or to strengthen is what the word oath means in the New Testament. And usually when oaths are sworn, they have three elements to them. They have an assertion, a witness, and a punishment. The assertion is the truth claim. The witness is what is called against the truth claim to prove the claim. And the punishment is what is, you know, given to ensure that this is true. Okay? So take our VBS example. The illustration of the seventh grader at VBS. The biggest spider I've ever seen is the assertion. The fact that I have ever seen and never have seen a larger spider is a witness, which is a self-witness in this case. And what was the punishment? Punch me in the face if it's not true. Okay? So there's an assertion, a witness, and a punishment. And all oaths have these elements. But when it comes to oath swearing in the Bible, things are much more serious than, than that. Oath swearing in the Bible usually invokes God's name. 
and calls God as my witness to verify the truthfulness of my claim. Oath swearing in the Bible is when you swear on the name of God. And it's necessary to do some background on this as well. So just very quickly, let me just give you two things about oath swearing in the Old Testament that are important to grasp that we need to bring into the context of what James is saying here. And the first thing is, is that oaths in the Old Testament, when they were used righteously and correctly, were not discouraged. Oath swearing in the Old Testament, when used correctly and righteously, were not necessarily discouraged. So, for example, Deuteronomy 10, verse 20 says, You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. You shall swear by the name of God. Okay, you have to ask yourself, in what sense, of course, in terms of faithfulness and dedication and commitment, that's what that means. In Jeremiah 12, verse 16, it says, Diligently learn the ways of my people to swear by my name as the Lord lives. And so that was usually the formula for oath swearing in the Old Testament. As the Lord lives, this is true. And that kind of oath swearing is not disregarded as sinful so long as the oath being sworn is righteous and true and correct. You know, as God is my witness, Jesus is Lord. Okay, this is not necessarily an unbiblical or unfaithful way of swearing. And the Old Testament explains that to us. That oath swearing that was encouraged was for the purpose of asserting spiritual truth that God has already revealed. It's not wrong to to, to take an oath according to God's word because God has already said it's true. And so there's no risk in aligning ourselves with that truth. And so oath swearing in the Old Testament, when done righteously and correctly, was not discouraged. But if we are to make a vow, if we are to make an oath and break it, that is what is discouraged and considered to be a great sin. So, for example, the book of Numbers, chapter 30, verse 2, says that if a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Or Deuteronomy 23, 21, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay in fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. So, In the Old Testament, vows were assumed to be a part of a committed and faithful life, that is, promises made and kept, but once they were made, they were not to be broken. Okay, carry that into our world and ask yourself the question, do we have anything like oath swearing in our world today, whereby symbolic gesture we, we, you know, covenant together into something? Uh, Maybe you kind of bemoan the fact that a handshake used to mean something. But it's in that sense when we're talking about the fact that we pledge ourselves to something and we pledge to fulfill it and we swear that it's true and we seal it by an action. Well, oath swearing was the way we do that in the Old Testament. But something became of that. Uh, Just like most biblical tradition, it gets co-opted and goes some really wild directions. And so in the time of the New Testament, when Jesus is walking the earth and later on when James is writing... This biblical teaching about oath swearing came to be greatly abused and even misapplied because certain rabbis during the time of Jesus were teaching that you can swear an oath 
and have it be not binding so long as you swore it in a particular way. That there are oaths that you swear that are binding and oaths that you swear that are not binding. And the the oaths that are not binding are the ones that don't use God's name or imply it. So if you swear on your own life, it doesn't matter if you break that vow. If you swear on your own name or the life of someone else or you swear by your health or you swear to some object without reference or inference to God's name, then it doesn't matter if you break that oath. Certain rabbis in the time of Jesus would say, uh, by my beard, by my beard, this is true. And what's interesting is that the oral tradition of the Pharisees, which is the the ruling authority, teaching authority in Judaism in the time of Jesus, who were really co-opting the biblical tradition in a different direction, they held what was called an oral tradition called the Mishnah, that had a particular segment of rules for what kind of oaths you could make and break and what kind of oaths you could not make and break. And they had all these rules set up. So for example, swearing by Jerusalem, the city, was an oath that you could break. But swearing before Jerusalem was an oath that you could not break. Now make sense of that. Swearing by Jerusalem is okay to break, but swearing before Jerusalem is an oath that you can't break. What this produced, as you can understand probably, is a sense of moral schizophrenia that results in the devaluing of integrity because what do do oaths mean anymore? What do promises mean when there are certain promises that you're allowed to break and still consider them fulfilled promises? That doesn't make any sense. But that was the tradition of the Pharisees during the time of Jesus when he's talking in Matthew 5 about swearing by Jerusalem or swearing by the king, and it's that same context that James writes about. Because what had happened was that there was this tendency to use an oath to get around a commitment rather than reinforce it. To toss out an oath to be a faulty and failed way of assuring that what I'm saying is true. Now, all that to say that when you see James 5.12, both James and Jesus are speaking about that particular kind of oath swearing. Trying to strengthen a statement with unnecessary and non-binding oaths. So it's talking about a particular kind of oath. A particular kind of oath. And James is saying, don't do that. Why? Why is James saying, do not swear by heaven or by earth or by any other oath? Because, again, there were all kinds of oaths that people could make. By my beard, by Jerusalem, by the king, by earth, by heaven. Why not? James is saying that these oaths are not necessary in the mouth of a Christian believer who is expected to be speaking truth anyway. You don't need these type of tag-on, unnecessary oaths to add value to what you're saying if what you're saying is true. And this is when, when the Holy Spirit maybe starts to seek to apply this, we start to ask ourselves the question, when have I asserted something and just affirmed, I swear it, I swear it, I swear it. 
It's moving into this application of the more often we try to use these unnecessary oaths, perhaps the more frequently what we're saying is not true because we're so certain to swear it by these unnecessary oaths. And James is saying, just let your words be true. Speak truth. Don't add an oath. Don't, you don't need to swear by heaven or by earth. Christian believers, speak the words of truth. Tell the truth. Your speech is to be trustworthy in and of itself. Don't swear by heaven. Don't swear by earth. Don't swear on your grandmother's grave or your grandfather's Bible. It doesn't add authority to what you're saying. It's useless. These frivolous oaths are unnecessary so that your yes doesn't mean kind of yes. And it means yes. And your no doesn't mean most of the time not. It means no. So we don't have to go to the witness stand and promise to tell the truth or put our hand on a Bible as if that elevated our word because our word is to reflect spiritual integrity of our hearts. But what happens when it doesn't? Right? Because the Bible goes into such detail about this because it knows our hearts and knows that we're prone to not tell the truth. What happens when we don't? James adds this warning so that you may not fall under condemnation. So that you may not fall under condemnation. Now, all through this letter, he's been teaching and encouraging us towards a more sincere and genuine life. And he is saying, look, there's a, there's a penalty. There's a penalty for a false tongue. A false tongue reveals a divided heart. And a divided heart is not sealed upon the Lord Jesus and so it reflects dishonesty, and it's very serious in the sense that judgment follows. This is not a reference to judgment in the sense of discipline. It's judgment with reference to hell. And so James is giving this stern warning. Let your tongue be an indicator of genuine spiritual conviction in the sense that you speak truthfully. It's very serious. It's intended to shake us into the realization that we need to turn from our divided hearts and lying tongues. Now, if you want an illustration of this, you don't have to go much further than Peter. Think about Peter, who in Matthew 26, Jesus tells Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me. And Peter says, that will never happen. And Jesus says, yes, yes, it will. And Peter says, even if I must die, I will not deny you. And we know what happens, of course. Peter denies the Lord Jesus. But I think that that story is given to us and what James is saying is given to us here because as Peter failed, so do you and I. We fail in our integrity. We fail in the words that we use. Even when coming to Christ and seeking to be obedient, we still continue to do so. We still continue to fail. We remind ourselves that when Christ bore our sins, he also bore the sins of our divided hearts and divided tongues and our proclivity to want to add these unnecessary oaths to the words that we say so that when we come to Christ, Jesus is saying, you don't, you don't need that. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Speak truthfully and speak honestly. And the Holy Spirit again starts to seek out our hearts. And when we see what James is saying here, we have to come to the realization that we're inclined towards not telling the truth. And that means that we are faking it. We are lying and we're lying because we're insecure. 
We're insecure because our greatest fear is not measuring up and we want to be seen in some particular light and so we mischaracterize ourselves. We don't, we don't want to not measure up and it's because we're measuring ourselves with the wrong reference. We want to be seen well in the eyes of other people. We want to be seen well in the eyes of the world. We want to be seen well in the eyes of the culture. But if we realize that Christ has given to us all that we need for faithful living, then we won't want to misrepresent ourselves according to some worldly standard. We'll be willing to embrace truth-telling because Jesus is making us a more genuine and whole people. And so James is saying, you know, loved ones, brothers, sisters, don't let a divided tongue characterize your life. Speak honestly. Speak the truth. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. It leads us to a more complete life so that rather than internal division and double-mindedness, we become whole people. God is making us into whole people through Jesus Christ as we practice devotion to the truth with our lips, as we follow the one who is the truth. And so James is saying, dear friends, let us speak truly and truthfully as we follow the one who is the truth. And may he give us grace to do that because we need grace to do that. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.